The Blessed Virgin Mary once said, right to the face of God himself, Son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been looking for you with great anxiety. Welcome to the 13th episode of St. Diffinus Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth, one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because God wants us to tell him how we feel directly right to him without holding anything back. And hopefully through the example of Mary, we can let him have it and then be willing to listen for his answer and contemplate it in our hearts. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, Michael checks in. When I come home, I'm physically and mentally tired, and many days I don't have it in me to give 100% to my kids or even my wife. Do you have any suggestions for work-life balance? Am I crazy for wanting more time with my family? Many men in my life prioritize work as number one as a means to provide for the family. That's cool, and I think my work has meaning, but I think I I value family time more than work time. I guess I suffer from dad guilt. Can that even be a thing? As a dad who works full-time and has gone through some serious periods of guilt for being away or being tired when I get home, this is a question that really gets to my heart. So thank you for sending it in, Michael. First off, a prayer for all parents who are away from their families during the day for work and who come home feeling drained and as a result guilty that they may not be giving their family everything they deserve. O St. Joseph, whose protection is so great, so strong, so prompt before the throne of God, I place in you all my interests and desires. O St. Joseph, do assist me by your powerful intercession and obtain for me from your divine Son all spiritual blessings through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that having engaged here below your heavenly power, I may offer my thanksgiving and homage to the most loving of fathers. O St. Joseph, I never weary of contemplating you and Jesus asleep in your arms. I dare not approach while he reposes near your heart. Press him in my name and kiss his fine head for me and ask him to return the kiss when I draw my dying breath. St. Joseph, patron of departing souls, pray for us. Amen. It is most definitely true that our work has meaning. Paragraph 2428 in the Catechism states, In work, the person exercises and fulfills in part that potential inscribed in his nature. At the same time, if someone gave me the income I needed to support my family and I could just stay home and be with my wife and kids all day every day, I would do it in a heartbeat. Before I ramble on and on, though, let me get to your actual questions. Is dad guilt a thing? Yes, definitely. When my wife texts me pictures of what the kids are up to during the day, it's great because it helps me feel connected to what I'm missing out on. But it also fills my heart with pain because it makes me realize just how much I'm missing out on. And it makes me question if working is really worth it when our kids are only going to be kids for a relatively short time. I mean, we have to support our families, but dang, once our kids grow up, that's it, you know? Are you crazy for wanting more time with your family? Gosh, I hope not. I think every parent who has to go to work wishes they could have more time with their families. And many of us find it bizarre that people dedicate so much of their lives to work, getting more money, trying to secure the next big promotion. What's it all for? If we lose the focus that we go to work for the purpose of loving our families and taking care of them and allow ourselves to devolve into the secular worldview of chasing after more and more and more all of the time, we risk losing our souls, in my opinion. So desiring more time with your family shows you still have your priorities straight. Finally, suggestions for a better work-life balance. First, take your breaks at work. 
They are your right, and you can use them to pray, walk, and do so many other things to rejuvenate and help you stay healthy. Next, pray on your commute. Pray for your family, each child, your spouse, all of them. And finally, don't overbook your kids during the times when you're home. Sure, it's good to get them involved in something they're excited about, but family time at home is also important. Playing games, having a meal together, just sitting around and talking, being silly, playing whatever insane and weird game they made up that day. These are the things that keep us going. These are the things that teach our kids where our values lie. And these are the things they'll remember forever. Keep up on the good work, Michael. Next up, Joan checks in. What are healthy boundaries with a family member who is struggling with substance abuse and bipolar disorder, but is verbally abusive and manipulative to you and your family when you try to help them? My brother will call my husband insistently at in crisis at odd hours and we respond when we wake up or when we can but if we don't respond when he wants he will cuss us out i'm heartbroken and i want a relationship with my brother but i know that now might not be the best time is there a way to keep the bridge there without being manipulated or verbally abused what an incredibly important question and one that I've received from quite a few folks, actually. So thank you, Joan. First, guys, let's take a moment to pray for Joan, her family, her brother, that the peace of Christ may descend upon them this very day in a palpable way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. If you've listened to this podcast in the past, you know how often I repeat this idea. We really need to learn to walk with those suffering from addiction and mental health issues, to be there for them, offer to help them, and simply learn to be comfortable suffering alongside them. And we have to do all of that while also taking care of ourselves, our family, our health and mental well-being, and our family's health and mental well-being. It doesn't help anyone, and it isn't meritorious to allow our well-being to be destroyed as we attempt to help someone else. So here's where the boundary setting comes in. Here's where we have to tell our loved ones, I want so deeply to have a relationship with you, to be there for you, to help you in so many different ways, but it has to be in a manner that's healthy. Joan, you have the absolute right to tell your brother that while you love him and are willing to help him, you aren't going to take his calls if it's later than 8 p.m. or whatever time you choose. Maybe I just go to bed really early. You have the absolute right to tell your brother that while you love him and are willing to help him, you aren't going to stay on the phone with him if he starts yelling or cussing. And when he does, I would say, look, I'm willing to help you and talk with you, but if you continue to yell at me or use bad language, I'm going to have to hang up and we can chat again once you're feeling more calm. That's something I've had to do with patients down through my career in mental health, and I'm giving you permission to do it too. You can also help your brother by working with him to develop a toolkit for times when he's in crisis, a list of things he can do when he's feeling a crisis coming on to help him work through it himself. What coping skills to start with, where to go if needed, who to call if needed, when it's time to go to the hospital, and he can have a bunch of things he can try to do first before he would get to reaching out to you. The best way to keep the bridge there, as you asked, is to let him know how much you want a healthy relationship with him and how you're willing and ready to be a part of that relationship. But a relationship is a two-way street, and he's going to have to take care of himself, work on his sobriety and mental wellness as his part of being in that relationship. You're a wonderful sister, Joan, and we'll be praying for you. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm here to introduce you to Saint Drogo.
Drogo was born in the year 1118 into a noble family in France. His father died before his birth, and his mother died in childbirth. As a youth, Drogo blamed himself for his mother's death and suffered from depression and feelings of guilt. But in time, Drogo found healing in God's mercy. Early accounts of his life claim that he was capable of bilocation. People claimed to see him attending Mass, while he was also said to be working in the fields. He made nine pilgrimages to Rome, eventually developing a crippling and disfiguring hernia from the hardships. And uh, what would a saint story, a saint biography be without an incredible story, right? According to numerous reports, the church where Drogo stayed in prayer and solitude caught fire. The villagers were unable to extinguish the growing flames and urged Drogo to abandon his cell to save his life. He refused, saying, I have made a vow to God and I will fulfill it. If it pleases the divine goodness that I should escape the flames, his will be done. Drogo remained in prostrated prayer in the midst of the fire. The church burned to the ground, but as the fire died, it was discovered that Drogo remained unharmed. The villagers rebuilt the church in St. Drogo's cell, where he remained until his death. St. Drogo is a wonderful example for all of us who've been facing pain, suffering, and grief since the day we were born. We can look to him and realize that we can still push through it and find peace in God's loving embrace. We like to close this part of the podcast out with a prayer, so let's go with the serenity prayer, one that's frequently referenced alongside biographies of Drogo Online. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Anonymous gets us started. I was tentatively diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder over a decade ago and never got real therapy for it and struggled with scrupulosity badly too. Even with confession, I find it difficult to let go of guilt, especially when there are other people or hurt feelings involved. What are some good techniques toward releasing unnecessary guilt? This is such a good question, one that's impacted my life and I'm sure the lives of most of those listening right now, not being able to let go of guilt after confession. How many of us have heard well-meaning Catholics talk about the incredible feeling you get after confession, like a weight lifted off your shoulders? Oh, it's just so wonderful. And then we feel even worse because sometimes going to confession is pretty much a panic attack driving there, a panic attack waiting in line, anxiety so intense our ears are ringing while we're in the box, and then guilt and anxiety over so many things after we walk out. Sometimes it's downright impossible to feel the peace of God's mercy, even when we know intellectually we're forgiven, and we still feel absolutely weighed down even after he's lifted it from us. So what do we do? Something that's helped me in my personal life is this, and credit goes to one of my favorite radio priests for sharing this in relation to feeling like we don't get a hard enough penance after confessing our sins, Mary's fiat. Think of all the sin that ever occurred in the history of humanity, past, present, and future, all the terrible things that have ever happened. They were all set along the process of being forgiven, being completely wiped out, all by a teenage girl saying yes 
I mean, can you even imagine meditating on Mary's fiat and how it started salvation history as we know it blows my mind. And it reminds me that God has set things up so differently than I realize that his ways truly are not our ways. And thanks be to God for that. And I don't want to pretend that simply meditating on this reality will cure our guilt, free us from our scrupulosity or anything like that. But I want us all to focus on it for just a bit to realize that God wants you to be saved and he wants me to be saved and he does doesn't see us as we see ourselves. No, he sees us for what we actually are. And we spend our whole lives seeing ourselves as something so much worse, so much less, so unworthy of being loved. And it tears us to pieces and it wears us down. And we think we have to feel guilty or make some grand gesture or sacrifice to make ourselves just a little bit less unlikable. But friends, this ain't it. And through Mary's yes and what it did for all humanity, we see clearly how God can undo everything, even in the simplest, seemingly unprofound ways. And while it boggles the mind, it can also start to bring us peace and comfort. And that's what he wants us to experience. Priscilla is next. I've been suffering from social anxiety for more than five years. This year, I had the courage to finally seek help, although I could no longer continue going due to the cost per session. I always felt like I had to just get over my shyness and anxiety. I thought with time it would go away, but it hasn't. I often feel guilty in that I'm not serving God or others because of this anxiety. I want to serve my parish, but I feel so limited. I often wonder if I will overcome this and not fear control, uh, not let fear control my life. Please join me in praying for Priscilla and all of us who suffer from anxiety so paralyzing we're unable to flourish and then so guilt-inducing we fall into depression. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Priscilla, I wish I could reach out through this podcast and give you a hug. God loves you so much, and he understands what's going on in your life even more than you do. And he understands exactly why you've been unable to serve him or others because of your anxiety. I want you to hear that first and foremost so that you can have some peace. He gets it. He loves you, and he's happy to wait alongside you as you battle through these symptoms. Next, I want you to know that not being able to pay for therapy shouldn't hold you back from getting help. If you feel like therapy would be helpful for you at the current time, there are options. If you have insurance that makes it affordable, you can utilize that. If you don't, it's worth looking into your, in your area for low-cost and sliding scale therapy options. Oftentimes, these are present where grad schools for counseling are located, people who are learning to do therapy, getting an opportunity to help those in need at a lower cost. But it's also worth noting... Um, it's also worth noting part of the ethical standards of marriage and family therapists is offering some low fee or sliding scale slots in their schedule as a way of giving back to their community. So maybe ask, do you have any sliding scale slots? Oftentimes your county mental health system will also have an access line. You can look them up online and they're a great place to start to see what's out there. I'll also say this for anyone who needs to hear it. You shouldn't feel like you have to see a therapist who's licensed or that someone still collecting their hours as an intern wouldn't be able to help you. I can think of at least 10 therapist interns I'd rather see than a bunch of licensed folks I 
know. And they come at a much cheaper price, so I just want everyone to know that. And while anxiety and social anxiety isn't just something people can easily overcome or think their way out of, with the right help, you will be able to move forward and be the person you want to be. While anxiety is absolutely crippling for many of us, it is also very treatable. So have hope. If therapy really is out of reach, my suggestion would be to get a workbook that is designed to help you to start moving through the process of healing just like you would with a therapist. My favorite for these symptoms is the Anxiety and Worry Workbook, The Cognitive Behavioral Solution by David Clark and the one and only Aaron Beck. It's $9.95 online, and it'll walk you through the exact same things you would get if you went to a cognitive behavioral therapist, so it's totally worth a try. Grace is next. I was recently diagnosed with chronic PTSD from a 51-hour birth of my first child. I've been referred for counseling, but it's yet to start. During the first stage of my labor, when I'd been contracting for two days but wasn't progressing, I was tempted to throw myself in front of traffic to end the pain, but didn't because of my daughter. I also made some horrible pro-choice statements, which I have confessed. This has taught me how strong the martyrs were for defending their beliefs during their torture. I guess I don't have a question other than can I receive the sacrament of the sick for mental illness? My PTSD currently makes me not desire another pregnancy, though I know my daughter should have a sibling. It would be interesting to hear your insight on PTSD generally, please. Oh, Grace, your experience breaks my heart, and I wish I could just sit next to you and suffer alongside you. Let's all stop what we're doing, please, and pray for Grace and everyone who experiences PTSD and everyone who has had a traumatic birth experience. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. The answer to your question is yes. You can most definitely receive the anointing of the sick for your mental health symptoms. The literal rules state, baptize members of the Christian faithful who have reached the age of reason and who begin to be in danger due to sickness or old age may receive the sacrament of anointing. Participation in the rites is encouraged broadly. For example, the elderly who are weakened, even though there's no notable illness present, may choose to participate in the ritual. Those who face surgery due to serious illness and those who suffer from mental illness. So go for it. I just want to say the things that you felt and were thinking while you were having this traumatic birth experience, please let that go. Be at peace because you were out of control of yourself. You didn't have your free will. You were suffering so greatly. So I know it's hard, but allow yourself a little space to be okay that that happened because of what you were going through at the time. Okay. Now, as far as PTSD and its impact on your feelings about having another child, man, I don't blame you. The experience you went through was so intense and so difficult that I think your response and feelings at this point are 100% normal. That being said, untreated PTSD leads to a whole lot of unnecessary suffering in our world today. So many of us think we should just be able to get over it, and we really don't see reaching out for help as a sign of strength, but it actually is. Untreated PTSD directly results in us not being able to function. The nightmares, the constant state of hypervigilance, the fear that something bad is going to happen, the flashbacks, it's all too much to handle and we need help to push through. I'm so glad you're in the process of getting connected to therapy and I hope that you um, I hope that you and your therapist will walk together and that they'll advise you if they feel like medication might be helpful at a time or at least be able to walk through you in therapy to help you move forward. Please, please know that you go with our prayers and we'll be cheering you on from afar. 
All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.